Church. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we continue in our kind of January New Year series called Refresh. If you heard last week, talked about rest, talked about stopping. If you have a go, go, go problem. And, and today, if you can actually stop, if you can find a way to pause, if you can find an empty moment or perhaps several then you can have time and opportunity to reflect, which is what we're talking about today. Now, my question to start off with is this. Do you remember life before GPS? Before Apple Maps, before TomTom, before MapQuest, before Google or Waze? You see, you'd make a wrong turn or two or three, and you'd have to actually, actually stop. You'd have to figure out where you are and perhaps open one of these bad boys <laughs> and figure it out, wouldn't you? Or ask someone for help along the way. Now that we have phones, a wrong turn comes with a simple autocorrect. There is no thinking. There are no questions. There is no need for you to understand where you are which means you probably, the next time you make that trip, will be just as dependent on your phone. Am I right? Now, life, life does not come with an app that clearly autocorrects you. The broken relationships, the addiction, struggles, the poor choices. If life did come with an app that would speak to you, in the midst of you making a poor decision, very clearly what you're supposed to do next, you probably wouldn't listen. Let's be real. And while life doesn't come with an app, it does, church, come with a book. It's where we find ourselves today. The reason we started with stopping last week is because you can't reflect without stopping. And reflection is where we not only learn where we are, but figure out how we got there and how to move forward. Even more importantly, reflection reminds us of who we are in the midst of our issues because precisely of who God is and what God's done. It pushes us forward in light of who God is and in light of what God has done. And so if you this morning are here and you feel like life has gotten away from you, like there's been a few wrong turns and you couldn't even recall where they were, you're not sure where you are, you don't know what you're supposed to do. And heck, you might not even have the words. You might struggle to explain what it is that you're feeling. You just know things aren't as they're supposed to be. You are probably overdue to pull off to the side of the road and pull out a map. And that's what we're talking about today. We're gonna break this up into two parts as we think about reflection. And in the first part, we're going to go to the Old Testament and we're going to, this idea of looking back in the midst of our circumstances, looking back and re reminding ourselves of who God is. It's a very important thing we see God do throughout the Old Testament. And in part two, we're going to look in the mirror and look at ourselves in light of who Jesus is. Those are our two parts for this morning. Pray with me. Lord, I ask God that as we think about reflecting and as we, as we look at your word, as we read your word, God, that you would challenge, that you would probe our hearts, that you would show us, Lord, in moments of reflection where, God, we just, we need to give things over to you. Would you challenge us 
As I've said before, Lord, we go to your word, not for affirmation, but transformation. And so we ask for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Our first, first point is this, that my faith starts and ends with his faithfulness. My hope starts and ends with God's faithfulness. My sense of victory and triumph in this life starts and ends with God's faithfulness. Who we are and where we're going is entirely dependent on who he is and what he's done. And what you think about God changes dramatically how you think about the circumstances that you find yourself in. And so we're gonna look at an event that God constantly, throughout the Old Testament, constantly points his people back towards. He identifies himself in light of this event because God is what he does. And he constantly pointing people towards it. And that event is the Exodus. That God redeemed the Israelites out of slavery. He rescued them out of Egypt. And after some wilderness wanderings, due to some, some issues they had, they made their way to the promised land. But why does God constantly point him Back to the Exodus. He wants his people to see and to understand and to respond in all circumstances in light of who he is. So I have three for us to subpoints, for us to kind of charge through quickly. Reflection reminds us who God is, and there's three different circumstances, but first, when we're experiencing hardship or discipline. God is going to bring this up over and over again. You're going to see in the scripture, I am the God who rescued you out of Egypt. I am the God whose, whose strong hand redeemed you out of slavery. And in this particular case, in Jeremiah 34 and in Micah 6, God is about to discipline his people. In Jeremiah 34, God is telling them they're going into exile. This is what... That's the context. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I made a covenant with your ancestors and brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He's reminding them of that. And the whole context of that passage is you've made some really terrible decisions and discipline is coming. Babylon's gonna come and you're going into exile. In Micah chapter six, he says, indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. What's the context there? He's about to bring Assyria into the north again because his people are about to be disciplined. They're about to face consequences. And he reminds them constantly throughout the Old Testament of who he is. And even in the context when they're about to face discipline. Think about my own kids. When I discipline my children, it is important for them to know how I truly feel about them. I want them to know, it, I want them to know that discipline is not rooted in my anger. It is not rooted in frustration. It is not rooted in an unloving heart. I remember one time, one of my children, when they, they were small, we were in the bathroom and I forget how we got in this circumstance. It's like climbing on me or hanging on me. And there was a slip and a pin between the toilet and the shower and he got hurt. And I just remember my child looking at me and saying, dad, dad, why did you hurt me? It's like a two-year-old. I know, that's how I felt, all right? With a whole bunch of like broken heart there. But it is important for my kids to know when they're facing discipline that I have their best in mind. I am the dad that wants what is best for them. I am the dad that loves them. For Israel, the question in exile would have been, where's our God? How could he do this? Who could allow Assyria to take the north? How could he allow Babylon to take the south? He's reminding his people. He is the God that brought them out of Egypt. Remember who your God is. 
Reflection reminds us of who God is when we have to make hard choices, when we have to choose to obey. And I've shared this before. One of the things we repeat in my house a lot, godly men do godly things and godly things are hard. I have a little girl now, my fourth, and so eventually I'll be saying godly women do godly things and godly things are hard. Godly people do godly things and godly things are hard. It is difficult to make the choices that are best for us. And God, in the midst of giving the law over to his people, which is their best, their good in his glory, in Exodus 20, in the midst of the 10 commandments, he says, I'm the Lord your God, what, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. He's about to give them the law. He wants them to remember who he is. Leviticus 11, when he's given the law, for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So you must be holy as I am holy. He's given them instructions that will be for their benefit. And you can imagine all the questions they might have, but again, a constant reminder, that's the God who's giving this to us. The people constantly being forced to look back. What analogy you can think of as like a coach. A coach will tell you to do all sorts of things you may not want to do and that you may not like. You may have to run more than you want. You may have to give up foods that taste great, but that are terrible for your body. You may have to actually get some sleep. Go to bed at a reasonable hour, even though it's been a long day and you feel like you deserve me time. Assuming you actually want what's best for you as well. Your obedience will correspond to your trust and the knowledge and experience of your coach. I actually found it fascinating when I was at, went to the University of California, Los Angeles for school in a very, very big sports school. And I always thought in high school that the athletes were the ones that partied because in high school, the athletes were the ones that partied. And you get to college, the athletes didn't party at all. The good ones didn't. And we had a lot of really good athletes. And they got in a lot of trouble when they partied, when they put things in their body they weren't supposed to be putting in their body because the school spent a lot of money and time on them. A coach will tell you all sorts of things you don't like. God is giving them the law, but he's reminding them, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. And then finally, we see the people called to reflect. We see the people called to be, rem to be reminded, to remember who God is simply because we forget. In Deuteronomy, over and over and over and over again, and we're preaching through Deuteronomy, we're gonna continue. So you've heard this before, but God reminds his people. In Deuteronomy 6, 12, be careful not to forget what the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. Deuteronomy 6, 21, nine verses later, because they're forgetful, I imagine. Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Why? Because we have a memory problem. He needs us. There's so many things in this world competing for our attention and our affection. There are relationships, materialism, consumerism. You could fill in the blank with so many things that want to compete with God's place and your attention and affection. And he wanted the people to have built into the rhythms of their life daily and weekly scripture all over their homes, habits and practices that constantly reminded in the midst of everything competing for their attention, affection. Look back to God, be rooted in God, be anchored to God. This is the God that redeemed you out of Egypt. Reflection was to be a constant rhythm. And it was. We see this come back again in Joshua when they're ready to 
conquer the land. We see this in a whole bunch of books. He's going to list up there. Judges, when sending the prophets to confront, he reminds them in 1 Samuel when the people are looking for a king. In 2 Samuel, when he establishes a covenant with David. In 1 Kings, when the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the temple. And on and on and on and on. Over and over and over and over again. This is who God is. In Psalm 77, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. No matter the circumstance. And whether it's consequences, church, discipline, whether it's confrontation, whether it's meant as hope or as encouragement, God demands that his people see their present circumstances, that you see your present circumstances through the lens of who he is and that you would know what he has done. For the people of God in the Old Testament, that anchor point through which they were to remember whose they were, that anchor point was the Exodus. For us, not that the Exodus is bad or anything, we love the Exodus, for us, that main anchor point is the cross. I see hardship differently when I'm anchored to the cross, when I'm constantly reminded of the cross. Because no matter what I go through in life, no matter what hardship I endure, I know it can't be because God doesn't love me. Because when God took on flesh and hung on the cross on my behalf and on your behalf, it was the greatest possible act and expression of love in the history of humanity. There is no greater expression of love that you will find. Whatever I go through, I got to remove that from, from the possible options. I see obedience differently when I'm anchored to the cross because when decisions get hard, I know Jesus, while fully God, was also fully man. And he had the hardest possible choice to make and he chose death for you and for me. And I'm pushed to remember and constantly look back and reflect on the life and death of Jesus. Why? Because in the rhythms of life, it's just easy to push to the side. We have a memory problem. His victory over Satan, sin, and death. Jesus' victory over Satan, sin, and death is like, I got, I got an example for you. Don't you imagine a dad who, who's, who's wearing his kid on his back and they're going on a hike or an obstacle course, whatever you want to call it, and they come up to a 10-foot wall and the dad climbs over the 10-foot wall with his kid on his back. And so they keep trotting along and, and eventually they come up and there's, there's a four-foot wall and the kid freaks out. What are we going to do? It's so high. And then a three-foot wall. What are we going to do? How are we going to get over that? And then a two-foot wall. How are we going to get through this? And the dad says, I'm the one who got you over the 10-foot wall. Why are you afraid of that? Why are you stressing about that? Why are you freaking out about that? Our lives are filled with two-foot walls. Your career, it's important, but it's a two-foot wall. Our homes are important, but they're a two-foot wall. The raising of your kids, it's important. That's a two-foot wall. You may have a child that feels more like a three- or four-footer. Yeah, I got one shaping up that way myself. But you can relate, and you understand what I mean. This is God in the Old Testament pointing back to the Exodus. That's who, that's who I am. It changes the way you view the present when you know who God is in light of what he's done. And for us, we have the cross. Paul, when he writes to the church in Galatia, because of the cross, we can walk humbly and boast in him. 
Looking back on the cross in his letter to, to the Romans, Paul's, Paul makes it clear our sins are forgiven in full. We stand justified before God no matter what errors, mistakes, failures you bring to the table. In his first letter to Corinth, because of the cross, Christ crucified is at the center of the very most important message that we can possibly share. It shapes the way we relate to others because of the cross. In his second letter to Corinth, Paul writes that we get to walk in God's power, God's strength because of what he did for us. Because of the cross. It's part of the rhythm. Have we built that rhythm into our life? Do we see our present circumstances in light of who God is and what he's done? something perhaps many of us can get better at. Romans 4, he says he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's something we can cling to. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's something we can cling to. And so we look back. That's my first point. Is no matter where you're at, we can look back on what God has done in order to better understand where we are and our ability to get through. But it's 2023 now, it's January 2023. And one habit that we have is, is not just looking back at the Exodus, not just looking back at the cross, but even more recently. I know we got journalers in here. It's, it's neat to go back and to look at what God has done even more recently, to celebrate it, to be encouraged by it. Not to, just this past week, I pulled out a journal that I try to write in, um, literally just recording very quick stories about my kids for them. And I've been doing it since before my first was born. And I pulled it out and my kids were, they just listened to me read stories from my oldest was two and they were laughing and having fun. It's neat to look back. And so this past year, we've seen God's faithfulness in a number of ways. We saw it in a missions night. We did piercing the darkness in which testimonies were shared, powerful testimonies, powerful preaching, engaging people in missions in the local church. We saw it in VBS. Hundreds of kids, so many volunteers poured out so much time and energy to love these kids, to give them the gospel. Great testimonies out of this. I don't have, our, I don't have a camp photo, but we, we took a record amount of teens to Berea for deep freeze as well with our youth program. We see with our men's and women's trips to Berea, people getting away, finding time to connect with others apart from the distractions of the world and to connect with God perhaps in a new and fresh way. Our summer picnic, which so many people work so hard on and we just had a blast. It wasn't just fun, it was fellowship, fellowship. And us out on the parking lot yelling God's praises, making all sorts of racket for the neighbors to hear. It was glorious racket. And then finally, there's so many things we could have shared. I just picked a few. Our growing staff this year, growing in deeper relationships with one another intentionally, building bonds with the eldership team here. These are just wonderful things we love to look back on. That should be an, a posture that we often take is reflecting on what God has done, being encouraged by who he is in light of what he has done. But reflection isn't just about looking back. It's not just about remembering who God is, but it's also about self-examination. It's pausing to look in the mirror. And I know some of you specifically avoid reflection because you don't want to go anywhere near a mirror. I know, you know those mirrors that like magnify every possible flaw. Some of you have a love-hate relationship with those mirrors, I know. But there's power in stopping, stopping and examining the self to realize where we are and who we are. 
and times of reflection that we contemplate our own deficiencies. If part of the goal of following Jesus is to be like Jesus, it is in times of reflection that we realize where we fall short, which is again why a lot of us avoid it altogether. We realize the areas of our life that need work. And we don't just sit and wallow in the problems, but church, this is the good news. By the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of community, we push forward in making those changes. This is why New Year's resolutions are so common. People sense areas of their lives that demand change. But it's difficult to build personal momentum to find that change because resolutions, they're built so typically on self-motivated willpower. And because of that, they tend to fail. When you share those resolutions with others, when you attack them precisely as a team, you're far more likely to succeed. In the church, we don't need it to be January to see where change is needed in our lives. But we lean on Jesus as we seek the changes that we need. We lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us. We lean on the accountability of community and seeing that change through. One example in our church is every first Monday in Celebrate Recovery, we're here on Monday nights, they hand out blue chips. Every first Monday, sign of people surrendering themselves over to God, surrendering themselves over to the process. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. And they don't wait till January to make the change. We do that all year. And for you, whether it be patience, addiction recovery, getting out of debt, learning the word, enriching your marriage, spending time with kids, more time with your grandkids, improving your work relationships, the list goes on and on and on. Whatever it is, it all starts with Jesus. My second point, church. Jesus became like us that we might become like him. And the reason I phrase it like this, and this is a paraphrase of a quote that goes back to the early church, is because if you're going to examine yourself, if you're going to look in the mirror, okay, and see and ask God to examine your heart and examine yourself, we do that with Jesus as the standard. Why? Because Jesus is the truest and most authentic human that's ever lived. The best version of you. The happiest, most joy-filled version of you. The most purposeful and satisfied version of you is the version of you that looks most like Jesus. And Jesus became like us, what? So that we might become like him. 2 Corinthians 5. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And reflection serves this process by which we become like Jesus in two ways that I'm going to talk about. One, it reveals the condition of our heart, that, that thing that we hide away, too scared to encounter. And two, it prompts us to actually step into the change. And so first, reflection, it reveals the condition of our hearts. Throughout the Psalms, we're, we're going to see this. God makes it very clear that we often need help in looking in the mirror. One, because we avoid the mirror to begin with, but two, we just have terrible self-discernment skills. And so you go to the scripture and you see this play out, Psalms 139, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my concerns, see if there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. This is a prayer we need to pray. Lamentations 3, why should any living person complain, any man, because of the punishment for his sins? Let us examine and probe our ways and turn back to the Lord. Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? You know, when Disney puts out stuff that just says, follow your heart. 
Your heart's lying. Stop listening to it. That doesn't sell as many movies, though. Revelation 3, one of the letters that uh, Jesus sends to a church confronts the fact that they are deceiving themselves. You know, Satan has three tactics in his battle in the soul that he wages, uh, in the war that he wages in this world. He can persecute, he can deceive, and he can seduce. And deception is rampant in our culture. And to this church, Jesus says, for you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They're not looking in the mirror. They don't actually know who they are or what their needs actually are. And so what do we do, church? Reflection is meant to help us examine who we are. We go to God and we say this prayer. And if you haven't done this in a while, do it this week, do it today. Lord, get on your knees, pray. Lord, show me the things I need to hand over to you. For some people, it's hard to find the words. I came up with this tactic when I was a youth pastor, when I take middle school boys up to, uh, to camp because it'd get time to pray and it's really hard. I mean, heck, even for adults sometimes, it's hard to get people to actually share how you can pray for them, right? You've ever been in a group where you pray, you know, okay, your aunt's sick. Okay, your, uh, your, your daughter's traveling. Okay, your neighbor's uh, dogs, twin puppies uh, are, are, aren't doing so well. Okay, does anyone want me to pray for them? Like, what would, what would your, fr family, your friend or family say you need prayer for? That's really hard. It's like prying teeth sometime. And so I came up with this thing with the, with the middle school boys in which I would read the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'd read it three times slow. And then I would say, we're going to go around the circle and I just want you to share two of those that you're struggling with. One of the guys from my Bible study on Monday morning came up to me. He's like, Zach, you did that to us too. I was like, oh, you're right. I, I, uh, it works. It gives people something to share. But it's a place to start. Get on your knees. Open up, open up the word. Go to Galatians. Lord, help me to discern. Holy Spirit. And then pray into that and share it with others. Reflection should lead us to examine our hearts. But it doesn't just stop there. Reflection prompts us to step into the change. That's needed, not alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of community. And in Ephesians 4, Paul writes a letter to a church about this change. In verse 20, he says of chapter four, but that is not how you came to know Christ. He just got done kind of talking about stuff, the wrong stuff, and he's, he's transitioning. Assuming you heard about him, were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, that taking off is get its undress language, all right? Take it off. It doesn't look good on you. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. So you go to God, you verbalize it, Go to Ephesians 4 and meditate on this. And he asks the question, God, where, where do I need to grow? Because I don't care who you are. You may be brand new to church this morning. You may not have very much sense of who Jesus is. You may have been a Christian your entire life. Everyone has room to grow. Everyone can grow. And my question for you is, in 2024, in January of 2024, when you look back, 
someone were to ask you the question, how are you different in January 2024 than in January 2023, what would the answer be? Would it be, wow, that year just kind of happened to me? That's a terrible answer. Well, actually, this is what I learned. These are the people that I met. This is how I grew. That's the answer you want to be able to give a year from now. And you got to set yourself up for that. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it in the context of community. And so in closing, I'm going to list off some opportunities that we give precisely for that. And every August and every January, we talk about relaunching the different kinds of groups and ministries that we do for people to do precisely that. And if you're struggling or thinking through any of these things, I would encourage you be bold, step out. Everything I'm about to list is gonna launch later this month. It's gonna be on the website tomorrow and it's gonna be in the email in the morning. So if you go to the bottom of our website and subscribe, you'll get the email with all the links in the morning. But first, if you're struggling to connect, I encourage you to look at our small groups. Opportunities to build relationships, Christ-centered relationships with others. And if you look on there and you can't find something that works for, your, for you, for your schedule, for your demo, whatever it might be, We've had groups start literally by people pulling friends in that sit around them in church and starting their own groups. Come talk to me. We'll figure out how, how to help you launch a group, perhaps. But consider small groups. Maybe you wanted to, to study the word deeply, really chew on things. Well, we have a men's Bible study. This is actually the Monday morning. It's, it, it went from three groups last year to four groups now. But we get together nice and early. We have women's Bible study as well. We have, they meet throughout the week, different times, different days. This year, starting on January 20th, we're going to be studying Revelation together. And Revelation is a beautiful book all about the hope that, 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 that Christians can cling to in the midst of difficult circumstances. The message of staying faithful despite all that comes. It's a wonderful message that we need today. And the Revelation echoes and alludes to the Old Testament more than any other book in the Bible. So if you've always wanted to dig deep to learn more, join a Bible study. Perhaps you're in a place where you've endured some trauma. We have some care groups that are gonna be launching later this month. If you're dealing with the trauma of divorce, separation, loss, these are communities in which you get to come together in a Christ-centered program to, for them to be a part of the healing process because you're not meant to do it by yourself. Some people here feel very burdened by debt. They've made some poor financial choices. Some, for some of you, money, even if you're not in debt, it kind of stresses you out and you're not sure what you should be doing. Perhaps your marriage gets stressed out because of this. Well, we're gonna be launching FPU on the 22nd. And this used to cost people 130 bucks. We have a subscription, so for you, it's free. So if you just want to learn about insurance, you just want to learn about finances, you want to get out at whatever it might be, we encourage you, sign up. Bethany Seidel, Curtis Boyd, and Ted Janicek are going to be leading this, and they've led so many other people through that financial journey. Check it out. And then finally, some people here might be really intimidated by the Bible. And so our adult Sunday school, which starts January 22nd, is going to start in the Old Testament. It uses the casket-empty curriculum and it walks people through the story of the entire Bible in a pretty non-intimidating way. We have three wonderful Sunday school teachers that are gonna be leading that. We encourage you, again, consider that. Whatever it is, you may not see an option here that interests you, whatever it is, find something so that the you 
a year from now can look back and say, that's how I grew. I challenge you this morning as you leave, first, no matter where you're at, remember who your God is. That was the message of the Old Testament when we walked through that. Remember who your God is. See your circumstances in light of his dying love for you on the cross. And two, find those empty moments. Stop, reflect, look in the mirror. Think about, go to God, ask, what does it look like for me to become more like Jesus? And actually take the step forward to do it. Be bold, I challenge you. Pray with me. Lord, I give you thanks for the worship this morning, which just felt so powerful. You are so worthy of our praises. Lord, I ask that you would give boldness in particular to the people who are on the fence. Help us, Lord, to come to you for discernment and for those who feel the stress, the worry, the anxiety, Perhaps they're worried about image or reputation, what it might look like if they were to actually reach out and admit that they need help, that they need community. We ask that you would remove those barriers, that you would give people boldness. I ask, Lord, that in 2023, your people would grow, that they would grow in their knowledge of you and their affections for you, that this community would grow. Lord, that we would be a community that loves each other well, that serves each other well, that cares for each other well, that reaches out beyond our own walls well, and that you'd be glorified in all those things. Lord, help us to not be apathetic. Lord, help us to take that step. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.